Hello, everyone, and welcome to True Living Wellness, um, your one-stop hub for all things wellness. Um, on today's podcast, I'm really excited because we have someone that I met very recently far away in India, and she was coming from far away in New Zealand, um, Dr. Sharon. We met at um, the Women's Economic For um, Forum in New Delhi just this April in 2019. And we had a fantastic time. She gave a talk about wellness, wellness and, and you, right? Was that what your talk was about? Well, I gave a talk on wellness and you. And um, Dr. Sharon also gave a talk and her talk was really great. Yes. And I thought I have her, it would be great to have her on the session with us to share part of her experience and her journey. And also today's session, we're going to be talking about foods that affect our DNA. It's an article that she wrote and it's on her, on her website, which I'll share the link under so you can check it out after i know but i'm just going to go straight to dr sharon now so dr sharon thank you for being on with us oh i'm i'm absolutely thrilled to be here and it was great meeting you and catching up with you again yes yes thank you thank you so much for your time so i was reading i went through your bio on your website and i was thinking that that would be great for you to share with us a little bit about yourself and your journey what got oh. you into, into this space Oh, absolutely. Um, well, it's been a bit of a zigzag because I had started out as an engineer and then um, when I was in grad school, realized that figuring out what's going on with the human body is so much more interesting than robotics. Mm. So I did a switch there and I was working in an area called biomechanics, which is basically understanding how the body works and how it moves. Yeah. And so I had an academic position up until uh, several years ago. And I think I experienced what an awful lot of people um, are now experiencing or experiencing with increasing frequency uh, is a lot of workplace stress. And I hadn't realized just how badly it was affecting me um, until I just started getting such extreme fatigue so that was at one point when I knew that I had to really do something about it was when I was sleeping almost all day. And like I oh, get wow. up, I go to, yeah, I get up and I go to work and I get a couple hours in fall asleep at my desk, realize, oh, wow. well, this isn't working and oh, wow. um, go home, sleep, get up to eat, sleep, sleep through the next morning and repeat. And of course, that's not sustainable. And I was actually quite scared because this isn't normal. And it was certainly nothing that I had ever experienced before. And I knew it was stress. And my doctor knew it was stress. Yeah. My cortisol levels were right through the roof. Oh, wow. Uh, and we knew what was causing it. It was the workplace stress. And, you know, I had spent over two years trying to resolve the issues that were causing all the stress. And it wasn't going to improve. Wow. Yeah. I, it, couldn't improve, um, so I was left with just leaving. Mm. And I have to admit, that things resolved themselves pretty quickly after I did that. Oh, wow. Um, now, I was fortunate that I had the option um, to financially sustain myself for quite a while afterwards. Now, I know, and this was what actually put me on the road to this, is knowing that a lot of other people that probably most people don't have yep. that kind Love of sharing. option to leave a really stressy situation. You know, they can't, they've got responsibilities. Yeah. And so, so what do they do? 
And Keep that's actually put me on, yeah, it put me on the path to figuring out, okay, what can I do? How can I use the skills that I've developed, you know, through actually going back as far as being an engineer and then being a scientist and mm -hmm. then just a real desire to help other people. And a friend mentioned, well, have you ever considered health coaching? And I didn't even know what that was. Um, yeah. So basically just uh, did a little bit of research, found um, an institution that I could study online. So that took me about a year okay. to get certified. And then I decided, wow, I just need so much more in-depth knowledge. And I've spent um, past couple of years, last year, I got certified as a functional medicine health coach. And that's where we are now. So basically what my focus is, is helping people resolve the root causes of their health issues, not just dealing with the symptoms because exactly. that doesn't resolve anything. You get some quick relief, but the problem is still there and it's still going to fester and get, yeah. Very so, true. I, I agree. Maybe kind of the long answer. No, that's great because mm. you actually answered the other, um, my so, next uh, question yeah. to you. That's great. Because I was going to ask you about functional medicine, oh. that what exactly is functional medicine? And you've touched on it, I know, which is about finding the root cause mm. of disease as opposed to treating symptoms. Exactly. Uh, it's something that traditional medicine is a little bit slow to um, take on board. Mm. Uh, and I, I think a lot of that is just that the medical system is broken. Hmm. And they just don't have the time. And it takes yeah, time it does. to look at a person's whole situation. So you look at it holistically. You're not just looking at individual symptoms. You've got yeah. to try and connect the dots. Yeah. Uh, so I think of it as, as kind of a, a puzzle piece where you're trying to put everything together to try and find what's triggering all these symptoms to occur and then find a way. Now, for the most part, that's fairly simple at least the, the initial stages, if we're just eating properly, eating real yeah. food mm -hmm. and uh, trying to reduce the stress in our lives and just getting some exercise and focusing on the joy in our life yeah. instead of running to kind of catch up to everything that we think that we need in our lives. And that would solve so many problems. Yeah. And it's, again, it, it's simple, but it's not, not easy. Not that simple. And that's, yeah. 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 Um, it takes a whole lot of, you know, changing. I mean, you're doing a 360 on a 180 because oh. you're turning your back completely to everything that you've been taught and um, how you eat, even how, what you listen to, what you watch, everything is affected by the time you start yeah. understanding how everything affects your well-being yeah, and how everything's things. connected yeah and, and uh you, you go on oh i was just going to say it's one of the big things about being a health coach is trying to find ways of dealing with each client on an individual basis to help them make the behavioral changes because those are the really really hard ones to make yeah. and I mean, I know that there's things that I know that I need to change in my life and I have to slap myself regularly because I'm not listening to the advice that I'm giving my own clients. <laughs> and that makes me realize just. Oh, sorry. Technical issues. 
Okay, sorry about the technical difficulties we had there, but we'll continue. Okay, well, I think um, just to recap, I think before we lost our connection, we're talking about one of the roles of a health coach and the important, probably one of the important roles after you've sorted out or what the probable triggers are, it means that your client has to make some changes in their life. There's no magic pill that they're going to be able to take that's going to solve a root cause. It's mostly it is a change in their eating habits or their lifestyle in reducing stress or getting more exercise. Or uh, we briefly talked about reducing the toxins in your life. And that's not just physiological toxins. It's toxic relationships. Yeah. Um, any toxic, any inputs coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and behavioral change is really, really hard. I mean, you can just ask someone who's who's tried to quit smoking just yeah. how difficult that is. That is and yeah. uh, so that's one of the roles of a health coach that uh, is probably one of the main ones is to encourage or find some techniques that will help a person make the changes that's going to improve their health. Yeah. There was a statement mm -hmm. that I read on your on your website, I think was under your profile, and you said, you wrote that chronic disease is um, the result of, of um, behavioral and lifestyle choices over a long period of time. And, you know, that goes back to that root of that, the point of functional medicine, the point of coaching, because it's over a long period of time. And so when a disease or an illness has finally presented itself, treating the symptoms alone is not going to sort it out. And then also just taking the meal plan or the wellness plan is also not going to be as easy to implement as well because it's been over a long period of time. And, uh, and it's like, okay, so how am I going to do it? It just seems like so much at the same time and all. And, you know, this is much deeper than, I need to lose weight or this is deeper than, or I have, um, I have, my doctor said I need to lose weight or I have high blood pressure. You know, there's a whole lot that goes into just having high blood pressure. It's not just even that, Oh, I'm stressed out. You know, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for Absolutely. saying that. So, yeah. yeah. So it's not in a lot of cases, it's not just one thing. It, it yeah. is, we call kind of a perfect storm of, yeah. of behaviors and habits that people have had. And I was actually reading something really concerning last week. There was a, re a report put out by, by an insurance company that was looking at the health of millennials. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, most of the time when we're focusing chronic health concerns, it's on older people because we've looked at a passage of time and now they're getting sicker. Yeah. But they're finding that more chronic disease is now occurring in millennials. And this oh, wow. is actually really, really scary because it's occurring a lot earlier. It is. And I, I mean, even stuff like diabetes and high blood pressure. You're right. It's really yeah. in them. Yeah. And I, I think it is the direct result of our increasingly toxic lifestyles. So, um, and that's on a number of things. Um, just our Please environment. Please mention a few. Wow. Since you've gone there, just mention a few <laughs> toxic lifestyle habits that you've noticed? Oh, the, uh, probably the biggest one is just the need to be busy all the time. Yeah. So that um, you're not actually taking time to rest and reflect. It, it's almost like taking some time out for yourself is almost cons 
considered a selfish or lazy thing to do. Yep, yep. Um, I think that, uh, of course, one, one of the of biggest the statements things. I hate the most is time is money. It's like, oh. no, it's not. Your health actually is money. Your health is more valuable than time because if you don't have time, if you don't have good health, which um, translates to energy, then the time is not valuable because you could be there, but really not be there. You know, you're not bringing anything, mm. you're not adding value mm. to that time. Sorry, I caught you. No, <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And of course, one of the things that uh, really bothers me, and I, could, I see this even in among people that I know, is they keep... Um, blowing off involvement in kind of recreational activities by saying, oh, sorry, I'm just too busy. I don't have time. And they use that. that too busy is almost a badge of success. Uh, when really, you're too busy, what, running from point to point, filling your, filling your time in with stuff Business. that's not adding value to your life. <laughs> Business school teaches you that. <laughs> Stay busy. What oh, and it's it really the long term. Long term, it's probably the very worst thing that you can be doing. Very true. Um, and of course, then there's the physiological toxins, um, the food that we're eating. So much processed food has got yeah. stuff in it that um, we shouldn't be eating. Or yeah. in particular, we're not sure what the effect is going to be, especially on our microbiome. Now, that's a, a big area of just the bacteria that lives in our gut that is incredibly important. For our immune um, system. For our immune system, but also for getting um, the nutrients. So there's some nutrients that the microbiome, the bacteria, yeah. actually creates for us yeah. through their digestion. Um, and then there's just the toxins in our air and in our water, uh, the things we put on our skin, yeah. you know, what we brush our teeth with. And we believe really naively that we, what all the advertising tells us, you know, that you need, need this stuff. And when you look at the list of ingredients on it, well, quite frankly, it gets to the point where if you can't, if you pronounce can't it. pronounce it, you probably shouldn't be using it. <laughs> yeah, very true. And they keep saying that, oh, well, it's only a tiny little bit, but you know, if, you've, if you use 18 different personal care products, every day and each of them has that tiny little bit and it's storing itself in your body then exactly. yeah you're developing a huge problem there yeah i mean i have to say that i do um i was on the bandwagon of if it's in the supermarket then it has to be good if they're advertising it then it has to be safe it's not possible that they're going to put something out there that is not but over the years, I've realized that mm, that's not quite the case, as in there's some things in, in, in the food that are known to be poisonous. And it's like, OMG, how is that even in the food? How is, how is this happening? And why are we not aware? Why are we not paying attention? And so I started paying more attention to what I was eating, what I'm buying, and stuff like that, you know, just being more conscious and mindful about it and not assuming that my well-being someone else's responsibility i have to take responsibility for it and that's a really big point and that's where people yeah. get confused too because like you yeah. said you have this trust that you know the regulatory agencies have got our backs um but they, or that even individuals themselves the manufacturers themselves as in 
you know, at least do your homework before you mix this thing and put it out there. So even for them, you're trusting that on that level, they mm-hmm. paid attention yeah. and all. So, and, But to give them just a little bit of, of latitude there, the information that we're finding out about the importance of the microbiome, now that's only been in the research for maybe about the past 20 years, and yeah. they're actually still not teaching that yet in medical school. Oh, wow. So there's a lag of about 20 years now. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of catching up to do. They're catching up, and it's going to take a while before the stuff that we do know actually gets into the mainstream. But I have to admit that I suspect that a lot of the food manufacturers and that are kind of willfully averting their eyes, you know, for some of the things that we're starting to believe are are true. Well, I guess the good Um, thing is that more people are asking questions now. And, um, and more people are speaking out. So even you doing this on this podcast is mm. you also speaking out and removing the veils over people's eyes to see that, oh, there's a lot going on that we need to be paying attention yeah. to. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. There's so many people in there. Like you said, you talk millennials. I wasn't going to say in their 40s and 30s who have high blood pressure. And it's like, why? So more people are asking questions and thinking, why? I mean, mine is, why should you be on high blood pressure? Why should you be on any medication long term? You should ask questions. So, you know, stuff like that. And um, I guess that's what got me on this whole radical. And, you know, it's been narrowed down to food, movement, rest, and Mm -hmm. um, good thoughts, which is everything that you said about lifestyles. And we can get that balance right then we start yes. to get ourselves into that state of equilibrium where, you know, we have balance. And uh, so that brings me to our core topic for today, which is how foods <laughs> affect our DNA. Because when we think food, we're thinking, okay, energy, we're thinking calories, we're thinking, okay, I need to lose weight or I don't need to lose weight, blah, 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 or, you know, the feel-good factor of food. But that food actually can affect our DNA. Okay, that 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 I found interesting. Can you share a bit about that? Okay, this is a a really um, fascinating. It's an emerging field. It's called uh, well, it's got a, a couple of different names. Uh, Nutriepigenetics, which is kind of a mouthful there. But <laughs> what we what we found, and this is um, something that's changed probably over the last forty years. They started mapping the um, human genome, so mapping our DNA. So it was mm-hmm. a big project, the Human Genome Project, because they, they thought at the time that once they mapped out and understood all the genes in the human body, we, we, we would have all of the answers, mm-hmm. that our genes were our, our destiny sort of thing, that our genes did not change. So what was in your genes is what happened. So if you, if you had a genetic mutation that predisposes you to high blood pressure, or a disease, you couldn't change it, it was going to happen. Now, of course, in the past 20 years, we know that that's not true, Mm -hmm. that just because you've got the genetic makeup for a particular disease does not mean that you're going to develop it. That although the, the genetic, your genes don't change, there are markers that can be turned on and turned off. So the expression, the expression of the genetic material 
can either go ahead to promote wellness or promote disease. So that's the important thing. There's having the genes for it and then having it expressed physiologically. So two different things. And in terms of, you know, if I want to go into science speak, there's the um, um, genome and then there's the phenome. And the phenome is actually how that's expressed. And that can be changed. So when we're talking about foods that change your DNA, it's not actually changing your DNA. It's, it's changing the expression. So whether okay. it's being turned on or turned off. Okay. okay. And so what they have found, and so this is an emerging field, and basically what they're, they're finding, I mean, we could go into a few little details, but we're finding is that whole foods, and it's important that it's whole foods because all of the nutrients in whole foods tend to work together. They work synergistically to, to produce an effect. So certain things will turn on um, a marker to promote good health or will turn off a marker that would express as a disease. Now, I, I generally don't like to talk about things that turn on and turn off cancer because that's such a hugely emotional topic. It is. And it's not to, like eating lots of veggies are going to cure your cancer, but what it, was, what it would do, it would prevent it from being expressed in the first place or prevent the factors or the genetic expression that would lead to cancer or lead to a chronic disease. Mm. So it honestly, it's almost anything that's in whole foods, whole vegetables. So whole, whole vegetables, food. okay. Yeah. Fruits. What yeah, about certain carbs? Types of, so complex mm -hmm. carbs as opposed to, I mean, what? give me some examples or give us some examples of, um, wait, before we even go into the the examples of whole foods and all. So some markers can be turned on and off in our genes. So mm -hmm. for example, something like diabetes. And all some people say, oh, my mom, you know, a parent had diabetes, so it's in the genes. How how does so yeah, what you're saying is or what um what you're saying is that that can be turned off or can be turned on by our lifestyle we determine if we get that if one ends up getting that diabetes or not yeah absolutely i think they've been fine they're estimating that it's probably only about five percent of our genetic material is actually static that you know what it is in the genetic is going to be expressed uh, just an example of that would be eye color okay mm -hmm. um, and there are a couple of diseases where having having the genes for it does mean that you are going to develop it. Um, and offhand, I can't think of, of what it is, the one that's my mind, but for the most part, that leaves like 95% of our genetic material. Yeah. Uh, you can change the expression of it. Now, things like diabetes, um, especially if it's type 2 diabetes, yeah. yeah, that is almost entirely dependent on, on, lifestyle. on your, yeah, your lifestyle and also your sugar intake. Mm -hmm. uh, and so especially catching it in, in time before it really develops into tissue damage like neuropathy and, and blindness, yeah, uh, that's something that's, that just managing, especially complex carbohydrates, because those are the ones um, 
are generally what we call high glycemic, which yeah. break down into simple sugars and go into the bloodstream really, really fast, yeah. which then dumps in a bunch of insulin in order to take it away. And over time, you need more and more insulin and suddenly the whole system collapses. So in a really oversimplified nutshell, that's what... But simplified you know, is good. Yeah. Simplified is so, good. Yeah. So looking at your diet and just getting rid of uh, or cutting back on high glycemic foods. So those are things that most of your breads. Mm. What about um, the fat gene? Is there such a thing as the fat gene? Actually, I was just talking to a colleague of mine who who does do DNA analysis, and that is something that people can have done now. And yeah. it will come back and with specific mutations. And one of them, uh, and I remember this because she said that she has it, uh, and I don't know what the real name is, but she called it the fat gene. And it means that she has to change what she's eating in order to, number one, it's to satisfy uh, satiety. So that's just so that you're not feeling hungry all the time. It has that effect. Uh, and I'm absolutely, I'm not sure, but I think a lot of it has to do, again, with uh, high glycemic foods. So cutting out breads. Yeah. Because what it's done is it's promoting more uh, fat to be lodged. Yeah. And so it doesn't necessarily mean eating less. It just means eating differently. Eat, eating differently. Differently. Yeah. So it doesn't mean you have to starve yourself. You just have to eat differently. Yeah. Uh, and that takes a bit of time, especially, um, yeah, if you happen to love bread or bagels and things <laughs> like that. It's just... You got to give it up. Sorry. Yeah, well, I guess it takes a lot of um, of relearning. So we unlearn to relearn. Um, I think um, one of the ch the challenges that I find people that seems to make the journey a little harder for people is that you know we're creatures of habit, and once we get used to eating a certain way, a lot of us are not as adventurous with our food as mm -hmm. we could be. And so um, we're not playing with the food. Some people say they don't have time, but I find a lot of people don't play with their food. So even when they go out to a restaurant, they'll eat the same thing. They'll order the same thing. And it might be the same thing they had at home, but you know, they'll order the same thing if it's somewhere that they go regularly. You're just doing the same thing. So, you know, so like the breads. Okay, yeah, so white flour is not the way forward, but we can learn to use other kinds of flours. We can, you know, play around with recipes and try things out. And like in Nigeria, one of the, we have a growing growing number of wellpreneurs. So people in the food industry who are focused on wellness enhancing foods. So we have people that are doing like almond breads, um, using rice flour, you know, like complex rice flours to make things a little more interesting and they're tasty. And but that's the thing, people are not even willing to taste. <laughs> people are not willing to try it out. Because once they hear healthier, they think that means it's tasteless. And, yes. uh, and I don't believe so. I think that healthy food can be tasty. It should be tasty. You don't have to put MSG in your food for it to taste good. You know, you can play with your herbs and things like that. But um, so yeah, oh, that's absolutely and I think mm -hmm. continue. You were going to say. Oh, I was just going to say that 
Um, sometimes it's just starting out with small changes. So anything yeah. that's going to be a big change, people might get excited about it for two weeks and that just gets in the too hard basket. Yeah. So yeah. just small changes at, at a time. And I, in particular, um, the, the idea of more and more people getting into good food preparation in terms of a business. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest true. things that's been a, a huge help for getting people to, to experiment a little bit more with, uh, preparing and eating better food or healthier food is uh, we have a number of companies here that will box up all of the ingredients plus the recipe mm -hmm. for meals for a certain period of time. Yeah. And this, this is mostly for people say, Oh, I don't have time to cook a really good meal. You know, I just want something I can heat up some pre-prepared meal. Yeah. Well, this takes the grocery shopping out of the equation and also the amount of time you have to spend figuring out what meal to prepare. Yeah. It's yeah. there. Very you don't true. have to make a decision. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people just, yeah. And it's, it can make quite a bit of difference. It's just for every person finding out what it is that's blocking them from making the change that they need. And yeah. then just kind of nudging them to make small changes. Though. That's an interesting statement you made that mm. everybody finding what blocks them from making the changes that they need yeah. to make. Cause for some people it's different. It's not necessarily the food. They might know what to eat. You know, they understand it, but it might be an emotional thing or it could be mental, mm. it could be spiritual, you know, which feeds back into what you had said before about all the different elements of lifestyle affecting our well being. Oh, and it even gets bigger than that sometimes if you if you're a woman and you're preparing preparing dinner for a family and you know that you have to eat a certain way, now how are you going to convince the rest of the family that this is good for them unless you want to be making two entirely different meals all the time? I encourage uh, you just cook one pot for everybody. Everybody needs to eat the same way. <laughs> exactly. But you can see how then the family dynamics yeah. come in into play um, very true a lot of people would say ah my husband will never eat that I'm like okay <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> or uh, going out to eat at friends places i mean you don't want to you know land them with a list of things okay i can't eat I this can't eat yep yeah so it, it is a little bit a little bit tricky and sometimes that's a, the where the creative part of problem solving come comes in is just trying to find okay what's going to work and it may just be a tiny little change initially mm -hmm. but that might be what gets them they get a little bit of success then said okay i can do this and then yeah. you just move on yeah and um, i totally agree i mean small changes i totally totally agree i didn't get to i'm at a place where I don't eat bread often. I don't eat rice often, but it took me a while to get there. I know. So mm -hmm. even though if I knew that, okay, it's, it's something that I would, I would need to do eventually. Cause now, you know, I'd read up about it. I knew that, okay, these things are not great for my gut, but I didn't make the change immediately. And I didn't cut them all. I didn't cut them out immediately. And also, you know, I just sort of reduced the amount that I was eating. So I reduced my quantities. Then I reduced the frequency until I had now gone a whole quarter without having bread, without having rice. I thought, oh, okay. And, you know, gradually you just sort of go that way. And it becomes 
lifestyle. You just pick up a new way of eating and it becomes part of you. I know, very interesting. So before we go away, I wanted to touch on some of the whole foods just so that we can have some examples. So for whole foods, and this doesn't mean, um, this doesn't, so we're talking complex carbs. So things like sweet potatoes, like yams, keeping it as naturally as possible. So um, like, what, what's your take on, on rice? on white rice. We eat a lot of white rice in Nigeria. Um, I know, and I certainly eat a lot more than I, I should be as well. Um, the reason I eat it is because I found out a couple of years ago, I have to go gluten-free. Okay. Uh, so it has a real effect on my moods if I eat anything with gluten or wheat in it. So I've switched mm -hmm. over. Um, I think with anything, it depends on, on the person. Again, it's high glycemic. Mm -hmm. So if a person's having issues with not being able to shift weight, mm -hmm. like if they want to lose weight and they just plateaued, then that would be something that they need to, to look at to try and find some alternatives. But sometimes just switching white rice for brown rice, yeah, because it's got more fiber in it, so yeah. it's tending to offset. It takes longer to digest that way. Yeah. Uh, works. Now, one of the other things that I was just recently reminded of is that a lot of the really starchy foods, like the potatoes, and it works with rice, and yeah. I think sweet potatoes as well, is that if you cook it and then let it cool, it becomes the starch turns to what we call resistant starch. Okay. So it doesn't break down and is easily digested as it was when it was first cooked and hot. It means it's turned into a lot more soluble fiber, which okay. then feeds the gut bacteria. Okay. okay. Resistance. Um, actually, that's probably something I'm going to be writing about in another blog article, uh, just because it reminded me. So that's one of the things with okay. rice. Once okay. it's been cooked once and cooled, and then if you can eat it kind of not hot again, but maybe lukewarm or even cold, mm -hmm. it it isn't digested the same way as it would be when it was hot. And so that the whole issue of resistant starch is actually quite okay. a big, big thing. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I'll read up on that. That's yeah. So that's kind of a way to get around, you know, the whole thing of, of it being high glycemic and mm -hmm. increasing, you know, your blood sugar levels and things like that. Hmm. Um, otherwise it's a matter of trying to find substitutes yeah. for, Another thing I would like you to speak into are fruits because I get a lot of people saying, oh, they don't like to eat fruits because it's high of the high sugar content. I personally don't mm. like fruits. I, fruits, I don't, I'm just not a fruit person. But I get a lot of people saying that, oh, it has a lot of sugar, so they won't eat fruits. And oh, can you oh. see? Yeah, I know. But I'm thinking, well, it has a lot of other nutrients, it has fiber in it. And also, you know, you're supposed to eat it and then your the fiber will help your body um, slow down how quickly the sugar will, will hit your system. But, you know, people have that mindset of nope, nope, nope. They cut out things, you know, even stuff like bananas. I'm like, bananas are good. I know, but, you know, can you speak into that? Uh, yeah, well, I think you've touched on most of it. Uh, what I really encourage my clients not to eat is 
is juices, fruit juices, unless they're highly diluted. Because what you're getting is, let's say one glass of orange juice might, might take four oranges. So you've yep. got the sugar of four oranges in one small glass. Yep. Now you can't possibly eat four oranges or most people can't eat four oranges. Or if you do, you have the fiber to help you digest it exactly. as opposed to just exactly. drinking it. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that in a lot of cases, it is the skin on the fruits that have a lot of really good phytonutrients. Those are the things that, that we also need to use too. Now, some skins like orange peels and that aren't particularly nice to eat. They're not quite yummy. Uh, but I've noticed yeah, <laughs> there's different ways of preparing it. Like I've dehydrated whole slices of orange oranges and you can eat the skin very easily yeah with the skin on uh i've thrown limes into my smoothie into the blender in the morning mm. whole limes um mm. and and yeah. that works but yes there's there's sugar in fruit and unless you are there's a real okay. medical need for you to cut back on sugar so i guess the thing that people get confused about is the issue of natural sugar versus added sugar added sugar true yeah true. so added sugar is the sugar sugar substitutes that we dump into or it's mostly in processed food yeah. to make it more palatable but you know two pieces of fruit a day is actually pretty it's healthy I, I would say and bananas in particular um excellent source of potassium, oh, potassium easy way fiber of yeah. yeah yeah but it's yeah. one of the first things so, people cut out at least over here in Nigeria, they cut out bananas. Oh, oh. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could live that way without <laughs> putting a banana in my smoothie. But any, anyways, um, yeah. and again, that is people getting confused because there's so much information or half information out there. Yeah. So yes, there is sugar in fruit, but as you said, that along with the fiber and all of the other nutrients. It's, um, it's good sugar. Yeah, it's good sugar. And I'm just kind of going over my article again, just there's, because there are some fruits there that I just wanted to mention. Um, oh yeah, that some fruits can trigger, can- Folate is in citrus uh, and grapes and papaya and And those can help to keep the cancer gene turned off. Yes, right? yeah, exactly. Uh, and also have a huge influence on on a biological process called methylation that actually helps helps prevent our DNA from degrading any further. Uh, it helps in the detox process. Okay. Uh, it's what are those huge. fruits again? Oh, it's anything in citrus, grapes, papaya, banana, and these are just the ones that they've studied. Mm. Um, things like apple peels, blueberries, cranberries have um, something called ursolic acid, which is thought to have anti-cancer properties. Now, again, when we talk about anti-cancer, we're talking about prevention, not cure. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I just want to not get true, true. people excited about cures for cancer uh, because I just don't know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But, and we're better off preventing it as opposed to exactly. it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, those, those are kind of important. And I said, the good stuff in it, 
in fruits are not just limited to those ones that I, I've mentioned. It's just oh, yes. those are the ones that have been studied. Yeah. So I mean, really, I'm, I'm always going to thought of just eat a wide variety, particularly of anything in season. So once you see something in season, just go for it. And, you know, if you like it, enjoy it. And if you don't, uh, then well, don't. Yeah, wide variety, multicolored, you know, mix in the purples and yellows, greens and reds, mix them in there. Um, yeah. And yeah. that's the best thing. And then you're, if the more that you're eating whole foods, the more that you're crowding out some of the processed foods, yeah. the ones yeah. that have the, the uh, trans fats, a lot of the, the additives, additives yeah. the preservatives, the yeah. um, artificial colors and flavors, which you really do need to stay away from. Yeah, 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 very yeah. true. Very points. Very important points. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharon. Thank you so much. I mean, we could keep going on, but <laughs> we could keep going on, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pause here for now. I know, because we'll definitely have you back on to share some more. But I mean, thank you so much. So today we've talked about epigenetics and how it's what we're eating can help either turn on or turn off certain genes in our DNA. So if whatever genes that you're, what, or whatever your family history is, doesn't have to be your story. And so if we're paying attention to lifestyle, that can help us determine how well we're going to live, basically, our quality of life. And we also mentioned about, you know, toxicity, toxic lifestyles, what we're listening to, exercising, emotional, mental, balance, all of that play into how well it is that we're going to, into how those genes are turned on, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You summarized it perfectly there. <laughs> and we should yeah. focus on eating whole foods. Yes. If you're going to drink your juices, go for smoothies and not juices, right? Or what was the quantity that you said about half yes. a glass? Half a glass of juices or, or juice? What did you say about that? Or diluted. Oh, I'd actually just, just stay away from them. Drink, drink water. Eat your orange, drink water. There. Drink water. Well, sometimes yeah. juices come in handy. And also, um, but I'm with you on diluted. Dilute it a lot because it can be a lot at the same time. A lot of sugar at the same time. And also, um, and then resistant starch. I'm going to read up on that. I like the concept of it. So instead of eating our, our simple, like our rice, would this apply to bread as well? Do you think? Would it apply to bread? Um, I'm actually not sure about that. I'm not In my sure head, that. I'm thinking fresh bread. Oh, you know, so maybe let it cool a little bit. Or I'm also thinking toast bread versus <laughs> toasted bread. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but just... <laughs> You never know. Well, I'll certainly, I'll, I'll look into that whole aspect. I hadn't <laughs> thought about the bread aspect, but I'll look into that when I'm writing up my blog article for it. So. OMG, thank you so much, Dr. Sharon. Can you share with us your website again? What's your website? Uh, healthylivingwithdrsharon.com. Healthylivingwithdrsharon.com. So I'm going to put a link of that on, um, in the post under the podcast. So guys, you can go out and check Dr. Sharon's website. You can read up on her articles. You can follow her. And also, she also does consultations. And I'm sure you can do stuff online 
with people. Yes, in fact, people online. I do international, yeah, for awesome. people who just want a little bit of information. So. so go to her contact me page and also reach out to her if you have, if you want more information, if you want to have a consultation with her. And, uh, and obviously keep following us because we're going to have her back on and we're going to have more and more topics to talk about. So I hope you enjoyed our session today. I mean, we could really go on. I hope we didn't go off topic too much, <laughs> but it was really, it was really good having you on and sharing with you. Thank you for your time, oh, Dr. Sharon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. So thanks guys. Thanks for joining us today and see you next time on True Living Wellness.